0: One Week Season.
1: Everybody, everybody, we are recording this Friday morning. So any injury news after this, it's not our fault. Uh, welcome to the one week season, week thirteen breakdown with Hilo and myself. We got six games on the slate today for us. Uh, we're going to talk about the Broncos and Ravens, Packers at the Bears, Jags at the Lions. Uh, we're also going to talk about the jets at the Vikings, commanders and the giants. So we're going to end with the Titans and the Eagles. And with that being said, we're going to welcome in one of the hardest working busiest men in our industry. Mr. Hilo, how are you doing today, buddy?
0: What's going on, man? Yeah, I'm dude. I, I look forward to our times on Friday, just to chat and like take a little breather and take a step back and talk about some football.
1: Yeah, it's, uh, we were just talking about, uh, before we came on, uh, some of the ownership we're going to get into today. And, uh, there's some interesting stuff already developing on, on what games everybody's looking at this week. And on top of it, this is like crunch week for, you know, fantasy playoffs, whether you make it, whether you don't, is all that hard work going to pay off. So, uh, you know, this is the big week and we got a, you know, a ton of teams on by and uh it's just a really interesting slate so i'm excited to get into it if you're listening to this on your favorite podcast at one and a half speed don't forget you can see our pretty faces over on youtube and check us out there as well we're we're streaming this and and you get a little extra data a few more visuals to see when you're watching us there uh with that being said let's just get into the broncos ravens game again, this is, you know, we've said this a few times this year, right? When I was looking at, you know, potential playoff implications and things that were coming on, this is a game I actually had circled on the slate that I thought, okay, we're going to get into week 13. This is one of the games that I think is really going to matter. And lo and behold, <laughs> we have the Broncos who are just to call them a dumpster fire would be like super nice. Like that's a, that, that, that would be there i'll be shocked if hackett's there at the end of this year uh he's just been completely inept um and they can't trade russ with that terrible contract i don't uh don't know if you've really got a chance to look at what the actual dead money on that is but it's insane
0: yeah yeah dude this is a <clears throat> obviously a game with uh teams with different i would say different goals here um the Broncos are, are playing with a backfield that consists of three guys that were not on the team to start the season. Um, Latavius Murray is the lead back. Got like 82% of the offensive snaps last week. Um, yep. The year of our Lord 2022, we're <laughs> talking about Latavius Murray as a lead back, at hey. a borderline workhorse back.
1: <laughs> hey, shout out. I got to give Sonic a shout out real quick on my single entry. He got me to play lat. Uh, as gross as it felt, uh, along with that from a few others. But tonic, shout out. Thank you for uh, forcing me to make that ugly decision that I was very uncomfortable with.
0: Was that one of those plays that arose from uh, like a, a high ayahuasca induced like medical coma meditation session? I'm sure it was for him, <laughs> but
1: yeah. I kept looking at it, looking at ownership and the pivot. And I'm just like, man, like I can really leverage this game. And if, you know, if he gets me 15, 20 points, I'm going to like, I'm in a really good spot. It opened up some other stuff for me. And, um, the, the only thing I personally missed last week is I pivoted last second from Jacobs to Adams. And while I did well, yeah, I would have monster mashed if I, I didn't want to leave this, I had the salary. So I swapped off and I was like, I don't want to leave the extra thousand bucks out. And I switched, and obviously know what uh, Monster Mash Josh Jacobs did last week. Captain two, two twenty nine and three tutties, and it was just uh, you know back to his normal self. So that's what I get for not playing him when I've literally played him every single week.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Same. I mean, it's that team is so concentrated. They are the most concentrated team in the NFL, and that is yep. with majority of the season being played with Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. And Now, I mean, we're like talking about another game, but like, yeah, it's like play yeah. play either josh jacobs or Devonte adams play them together just just play them every every week basically
1: yeah yeah so we got over that so we're going to go back to that but i, I had to give sonic a shot out and um interesting how well they're de- you know you talk about in your breakdown here that we're showing you know how good the defense has been but how just inept the offense has been and uh we thought their defense would be solid but we no one saw this this offense imploding this way
0: yeah and The fact that their defense has been so good and their offense has been so bad, like they are legit the worst offense in the NFL from points per game perspective. And they are the best defense in the NFL from a points per game perspective. So that, that, uh, that like tension started to boil over this past week. Um, We had a a little screaming match. I forgot the name of the the defensive player who was screaming Um, a little shout and spout little spout off uh, with between a defensive player and, and Russell Wilson on the sideline. Um, so there's clear tension in the locker room. There's clear, uh, it, they, they said what they had to say after the game. They're like, Oh, it was, it's just boys being boys during, you know, during a football game, but, right. um, there's, there's clear tension going on. And, um, while we expect like Hackett is probably not going to last this season, there is the opportunity that they have an understanding between, um, between ownership, between the GM, between uh, Hackett, that like, hey, give me the remainder of the year to try and figure some shit out moving forward, because they kind of backed themselves into a little corner here with the contract they gave Russ. They have pass-catching weapons that don't really mesh well with with what Russ brings to the table. I uh, I theorized earlier this season that the um, that Russ's struggles are likely due to his pass catcher's inability to generate separation. You look at, like, who he had. Yeah, so, like, yeah, all these players that were able to generate separation, Doug Baldwin, Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, like, throughout his career in Seattle. Then he goes to, like, Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy, who are, like, in the 60s in wide receiver rank at average separation at Target this season. So, um, I don't know if – I don't know what the fix is, but there's at least a chance that, like, Hackett has this – I don't know, understanding that like, Hey, let me try and figure some shit out for the rest of the season. As we move into, obviously we're turning our sights towards next year. That said, like the macro perspective of this game is like, there are very few paths for this game to really open up. So that leads me with like, I don't really want to play anyone from this game, but with the caveat of like Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews always have to be considered like regardless of matchup. Yeah. Lamar Jackson is, Uh, You know, he can put up those 45 plus fantasy point games. He can rush for 101 and throw for multiple touchdowns. And that's kind of what you're looking for. So this game is very much just like stay away or consider the exact pairing of Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. Um, Because if you're basically, by saying you're playing Mark Andrews, you're saying he's optimal on this slate, which means he's putting the slate out of reach at the position. And if he's doing that, it's highly likely that Lamar Jackson is also having a nice game. Um, so pairing them up is is getting two positions right with one stone, basically. And outside of that, it's just kind of a stay away.
1: Yeah, for me, it's it's the it's going to ownership is going to dictate that. Right. As we looked right now, Friday morning, Lamar and Andrews are both under three percent. Now, mm-hmm. I don't believe for a second it's going to land there. But if we start, everybody's just like, "Look, the Broncos are going to shut them down. They're they're not going to be able to do anything. Um, they still have a 24 you know point implied total. If I start looking, that I can get them under five percent each. Going to be hard for me to not take a chance on some GPP stuff with with that stack. At you know, because yeah. very rarely are we going to get under five percent Lamar and Andrews, uh, even against
0: what's been the best defense in the NFL with with as far as points go." And the upside is clearly there. I mean, the, the, the Ravens dropped three touchdown passes last week alone. Uh, one of those well, was I am
1: well aware. <laughs> one of those was
0: Mark Andrews. So yep. the fact that like, they're still, their offense is still being put in places to succeed is obviously a plus the way I'm handling this situation personally, just because it is very, a, a very binary and polar outcome. It's like, either the slate is out of reach um, with Mark Andrews and Lamar Jackson, or they completely fall on their face. The way I'm personally handling this is I got my exposure to this offense through uh, the battle Royale on underdog because Lamar Jackson is like a fifth round pick this week in over on that format. So it's like, I can get access to one of the higher priced players at the quarterback position in DFS on underdog where he's a fifth round pick. And so that's where that like um what did I call it? Shit. I forget what I call it in my course. Um a disproportionate upside. That's where that like disproportionate upside bet comes yep. into play because like over there he's um a second to last round pick, whereas you're still paying a, a relative premium for him in DFS.
1: Yeah, And something to talk about here, when we're talking ownership, I'm just looking at DK right now. One of the things that does matter is, is the slate, right? Are you on Yahoo? Are you on FanDuel? Are you on SD? Like, where are you, you know, are you on Underdog? Where are you playing at, right? Is also going to affect that, right? Um, and I've really, I've enjoyed those over at Underdog. I've actually done really well on them this year um, because I've found personally, a lot of guys are just taking the chalk up front. Right, and they're mm-hmm. giving you like some great pivots, right? Like in that halfway through, right through the draft of, of those quick drafts, you're getting some great pivots off of there. But I agree, uh, I'm not going to have much exposure. Uh, you know, the one other way to right to get this is if ownership does rise for Lamar and Andrews, right? As you pivot, you know, pay up at the Broncos D, you pay for that, and hope they just shut them down and get a pick or two off of uh, off of them. So. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to move on to uh, a rumble up north with the Packers and Bears. And this is a interesting game. Um, I'm excited with the fields news we got yesterday. Right. That he got a full practice in that was like, okay, like this could get, you know, this is one of those games that, you know, in the range of outcomes while it's got a 44 and a half we know how bad the bears defense is and we've seen how Swiss cheese, the Packers can be, uh, you know, this is one of those games that all of a sudden at 44 and a half could turn into 60 and it's coming in at really low ownership right now. Like, yeah, in terms of, you know, short of a couple players.
0: And I'm surprised that this game total has remained where it is at after fields was ruled in, um, you look at like what they've done over the last five games with fields, with a healthy fields at quarterback, they've averaged 29.6 points per game. They have had one game in their last five that has failed to go over 50 points. And that was the first one against the Patriots uh, where they, they actually won 33 to 14 in Foxborough. So the fact that I think it's, it's probably being held down by the, the uncertainty with Fields, right? But when right. we look at, like, look at what has been said, um, look at what Fields has said, his head coach, his coaching staff, the medical team, what they have all said is we are comfortable playing Fields as long as we feel like he can protect himself. Fields said that, his head coach said that, the medical team said that. They all said that last week, right? they made the call late last week that they didn't feel like fields could protect himself. Well, now as he goes to a full practice to me, that indicates the team hit the, the team of doctors, the medical staff, his head coach, he have all come together to say, we feel like fields can protect himself, whatever that means with a separated shoulder and partial ligament damage. I don't know what that means, but like to me, like reading the tea leaves here, it's highly likely that, Nothing really changes as far as how they approach this game from the snapshot of the last six weeks, because we know that they're a different team over the last six weeks. So, like to me, the upside of Fields, like Fields in this game, makes this game environment worth paying attention to, just because of what he can do. We just saw last week a mobile quarterback and Jalen Hurts set legit NFL and just franchise records in rushing against the Packers. Why is that? Why is that? It's because like their linebackers play very aggressive. And then there's like a 10, 15 yard gap behind the linebackers in this like off zone prevent coverage. Also, Darnell Savage is probably going to be out for the Packers. So that throws additional like communication issues that could come into play from a team that plays heavy, heavy rates of zone coverage. Obviously with zone, there's more communication errors with man. It's like you beat your man. You can go for 80 with zone. It's like, if there's communication errors on the back end, that could lead to those like 80 yard, like chunk plays, whatever. So there's also the uncertainty with Aaron Rodgers. There's Darnell Mooney, who is out for the season now with a, uh, yep. after he had surgery on his ankle, there's no pass catcher outside of Cole commit is expected to play more than like what? 66, something percent Yeah. Yeah. So are they going to thrust, um, chase Claypool into the Darnell Mooney role. I don't know. Like all I saw from last week is that they, they ran no less than like six wide receivers through a rotation. It's like even Byron Pringle saw work. And uh, it's like, where has he been all season? So there's a lot of moving pieces with this game. Like we looked at, we got through the last game and like, it was just like, yeah, consider <laughs> Lamar Jackson plus Mark Andrews are considered fading this game is like the polar opposite in what we have to like work through as we're trying to piece together like the micro aspect of one, this game environment, two of each individual team, how they're going to attack. And then three, like how that fits into the the macro state of the slate and the primary decision point of like quarterback on the slate, because we have so many um, of the upside quarterbacks that can really like put the slate out of reach. You know, you have um, the chiefs are playing the Bengals two of both of those quarterbacks have put up, Uh, like Patrick Mahomes had like five straight games of 325 plus pass yards. Um, we've seen, um, Jesus, Joe Burrow, uh, put up like 40 fantasy point games, um, over the past two years. So like that game has the quarterbacks are, are with with Jamar most likely back this week. Yeah. You have Lamar Jackson. We just talked about you have Jalen hurts. We just talked about you, or we'll talk about here shortly. Um, you have now Justin Fields. And so like the adding a an additional like an additional decision point into that that like decision node of quarterback position it adds a little bit of a of, of an interesting dynamic to the slate in that like by playing a quarterback outside of that elite range you're saying that all four five six of those players fail to put the slate out of reach can that happen like of course it can. Can it, is it probably equally as likely that one of those guys puts up 35 plus fantasy points and you have to have them on the slate? Yeah. So there's a lot to consider there. And Justin Fields is just, just another piece of that puzzle in this like range of elite quarterbacks. And I would say that like, it's very clear how you should optimally play him if you decide to go there in the sense that like, I, I, I've preached probably over the last uh, year and a half that like the optimal way to play a mobile quarterback is to pair him with exactly one pass catcher because you're not just, he's not put Justin Fields or Jalen Hurts or Lamar Jackson are not putting the slate out of reach purely based on their legs. It's just not going to happen. So if they're putting the slate out of reach, which is why you were paying up to play those players because you're playing them because they had, they were a had to have at piece. It is highly likely that they're bringing a pass catcher along with them just so happens that the only pass catcher for the bears expected to be an every down pass catcher this week is Cole commit. So it's like consider fields plus commit, consider fields plus commit plus a bring back and consider maybe running fields naked. If, if you're in smaller field stuff, All right, you ready for a wild number
1: on fields right now. So yeah. listen to this. Here are the quarterbacks currently as of Friday morning who have less ownership than fields on the DK main slate. Are you ready? Right below him is Kyle Allen. Next is Daniel Jones. Next is Tua, which I get there, yeah. but that's, that's just, that's lunacy. Tannehill, Heineke, and the bottom owned is Russ. That's it. Those are the only quarterbacks on the slate of all these games that have less ownership. And they're all right there. Mm-hmm. People that are head. Let's talk about people, quarterbacks that are ahead of fields right now. Mike White. Bryce Perkins, right? Like those guys currently are obtaining more ownership than fields and the ability to break a slate with fields while the salary is up there. It's just, it's not even comparable. Um, And I, one of the things you brought up that real well with that bring about is if you look at this season, look at Jalen and the week Devontae went off Jalen and the week that he used AJ, right? The week fields used commit right like it's that one bring you know that one receiver with them and then they're gone
0: Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews the both yep. the times that Mark Andrews was optimal his quarterback was also optimal
1: yep so I, I think this is going to be a great spot to leverage you talked about two, right where where do you go you know let's talk about some bring backs on the Packers side obviously the Bears defense is also just terrible uh, I had to make a cheese comment earlier to start because you know it's the Packers um, but where do you, you know, where do you see this going, right? Rogers finally came out and said, "Well, yeah, my thumb's broke, and <laughs> we, you know, that's why yeah. I can't throw." And finally came out and admitted it. What, what do you like and bring back wise in
0: this game? It depends. It depends on whether we see Aaron Rodgers or Jordan Love. I think that the offense probably opens up more if Jordan Love plays. We've seen that Rodgers has struggled to throw past five yards downfield. Um, over the last four or five weeks since his thumb has been bothering him. So like, and then we also saw like Jordan Love throw a what, 67 yarder to Christian Watson last week. Yep. You have Romeo Dobbs, who's expected to come back from injury. So how is he going to reintegrate into this offense after like, after he started the season playing ahead of Christian Watson, but Christian Watson <laughs> has rattled off six touchdowns over his last three games. So you can't really like play him over Christian Watson now. So is, it it would be like, I would say that Romeo Dobbs is probably the one likeliest to shift into the slot. If they're looking to get him onto the field, like all three of those guys on the field together um, and share slot time with Randall Cobb. I think that's probably likeliest Um, looking at their slot snap rates. It's like they, they don't really run a, a traditional like X, Y, Z offense. It's more like that, like all of Alan Lazard, Christian Watson, Romeo Dobbs have spent time in the slot this season. Um, But just like, Christian Watson is the most, most athletic. He's six, three, he runs a four three six forty. 640. Um, Alan Lazard and Romeo Dobbs are like six, uh, um, around the same weight and they are slow. They run like a four five, five So, um, it's likeliest to me that we see Christian Watson and Alan Lazard play primarily on the perimeter. We know that Alan Lazard is more, more, um, useful to this team, I would say in a pass blocking or a run blocking type role. Um, he's kind of there. Like um, it, they they've clinged to these, like uh, like blocking style wide receivers over the past uh, few seasons in the draft, which is just absolutely maddening. Like um, Marcus Valdez was their field stretcher. And then they had a St. Brown, who was like the blocking guy with Alan Lazard and whatever, but <laughs> I digress a bit. <clears throat> Basically, I don't know. I don't know who is optimal bring back. It could be, you know, Aaron Jones is playing like 70% of the offensive snaps, but he's seeing AJ Dillon, uh, I guess, a a semi reemergence of AJ Dillon over the last two weeks, which probably has something to do with Aaron Rodgers thumb and his health and how they're approaching games. We know that like Aaron Rodgers is going to milk the play clock until like the final tick between every snap. So like Jordan Love probably isn't going to do that. So, like, the offense would open up a bit, I think, if Jordan Love played. Um, but the much more important piece to this game environment is Justin Fields, clearly. Um, so, to me, it's like, Justin Fields is playing, okay, there, we should have some level of interest in this game environment. If Aaron Rodgers was playing, if Jordan Love is playing, matters less. Um, but the offense, I think, would be a little bit more opened up. Should Jordan love play, they'll be able to attack downfield a little bit better. Jordan love has a big arm. He that's never been his issue. It's just been um, processing decision-making pocket presence, uh, reading a defense, which appears like it's, he's made some steps forward after watching him in preseason this season, watching him uh, play a, a quarter and a half last game. So I don't know. Uh, the answer is, I don't know. I have no idea.
1: <laughs> well, that'll be a good way for uh our one-week season for Inner Circle members, uh, Hilo and Xandamir do a breakdown on Saturday afternoon, evening, depending upon what country you are on, and that's uh, for members only. It goes into a lot more DFS theory, and we'll have a lot more information at that point, and you'll be able to get some good breakdowns on that game. Um, So now let's talk about the Chalkity Chalk Chalk Chalk. The Jaguars at the Lions, which... I was excited about until I logged in and looked at ownership. And then I was like, wah, wah, wah. And then I went, oh, and then I looked again and went, oh, but there's some really cool pivot points that don't have, right? They're just playing the chalk uh, as of right now. Uh, And I like, I'm going to probably try at this point to pivot off of this myself. Uh, I'm looking at, you know, DJ Chark at 1%. Uh, Jamal Williams at 2%. And, you know, some of these, you know, lower owned guys, Josh Reynolds, um, you know, trying to get maybe a pivot off of there. Uh, meanwhile, you have, you know, Amon, Zay, ETN, Kirk, Lawrence, Ingram, Goff are all just steaming right up the board on, on ownership. And especially, you know, Amon and, and Zay. How are you feeling about this game? You know, it has, you know, the 50-point total. I think we're going to see a ton of ownership here. How do you feel?
0: Yeah, so let's let's break this down a little bit. Right now, the highest expected owned quarterback on the slate is Trevor Lawrence. Yep. Three of the top four highest expected owned wide receivers are from this game. Yep. Amon Ross A. Brown Jones, Christian Kirk. The highest, the second highest owned expected running back is Travis Etienne. If we the reason I'll put it like this. The reason that I am less worried about the chalk, about just playing the chalk from this game is because the field doesn't know what the best chalk from this game is. We have, you see Trevor Lawrence is getting steamed up around the industry. You have um, Christian Kirk and Zay Jones, who are like the primary, that offense is concentrated from the sense of like Travis Etienne is expected to see the bulk of the work at running back. And then you have the primary four pass catchers, um in Christian Kirk, in Zay Jones, in Marvin Jones, and then um in in Evan Ingram that that play like majority of the offensive snaps. The problem is they're all seeing like 25% target rates. They're they're Thank just you. splitting the workload. So yeah, like and then with with Trevor Lawrence, it's like the field sees that this offense had to pass a lot last week. The field sees that Trevor Lawrence put up three touchdowns and it's like, that's all they're seeing. I feel like the field is not paying attention to how the Jaguars arrived at that level of output, how this game environment is likely to play out. Both the Jaguars and the lions are teams that do not push the envelope on their own. They have to have some outside force that is pushing, that is forcing them to open things up. That said what is going to do that if both of them are just kind of at like doing this during the game? What are the outside forces that could open this game environment up? It's like a defensive touchdown, a special teams touchdown, a fumble for a touchdown, a pick six. Okay, if that is like the likeliest way for this game environment to blow up, what am I placing my money on by betting on Trevor Lawrence and his pass catchers? I'm betting on the like one and a half percent chance of a special team score. That is not something that I, one, want to be placing my hard earned money on, and two, don't want to be looking at when the ownership is expected to be high on those pieces. So for me, the very clear best plays from this game on paper, and probably the two most underpriced players, respective to their expected range of outcomes, are Travis Etienne and Amin Ross St. Brown. It's like, just play those guys. Like, I'm not going to. I don't want to be fucking around with trying to play like DJ Chark or, or uh, well, okay. The two interesting pivots from for me from this game are DJ Chark and DeAndre Swift. Right. That's DeAndre why I brought Swift. him up.
1: Like those are the two pivots for me.
0: Yeah. So DJ Chark worked his way up to I believe seventy three percent of the offensive snaps. Uh, I forget the number, but that's my memory. I'd have to look it up again. I know yeah. it's close to that. I've looked at it on Monday. Yeah. I just don't. I don't remember today. Yeah, it's in the write up. Go check it out. Um, yeah. <laughs> the so that was his second game back from injury after playing like 17% of the offensive snaps in his first game back. So we know that DJ Chark is like back to being the, the second option in this past game, particularly because TJ Hawkinson is gone. 73%. Um, Good job, buddy. Nailed it. Um, so yeah, like shark is probably going to see his snap rate increase again. He's probably going to be close to an every down player. And he has a little bit more of a downfield role. The problem is the, Jacksonville defense is built from the outside in. They they want to force things to the middle field. They want to swarm. They want to limit yards after the catch, and they want to limit splash plays against. That plays very naturally into what Amon Ross St. Brown brings to the table, a little bit against or limiting to DJ Chark's game. But that said, he's a high A-dot downfield perimeter wide receiver that uh, is playing a high zone Based defense so again those communication issues can happen he can get behind he can put up a a four for 105 and two touchdown game in this kind of game environment so that is an interesting pivot from the sense of like you're getting a cheap player that has a downfield role in a, a in a solid expected game environment as a 51 point total with a pick em spread so like that is a good game environment for us to attack the other thing is DeAndre Swift is off the injury report entirely for the first time since week one. He has been on the injury report every week since week one. I am well
1: aware as someone that owes a tractor trailer load in season long and best ball, that has
0: not been fun. Yeah. So then you pull up his splits. Like you can, <laughs> the, the magic of like metrics right now is like, just pull up the splits of DeAndre Swift when on the injury report and when off the injury report. And it's like, One of the highest deltas in fantasy production of any player in the NFL. So, like, if he's healthy, like, he's going to see some work. He's going to be involved in the pass game. He has red zone usage. He has goal line usage. He has everything you want from a play. He's also priced at a very affordable price. He's a direct leverage pivot off of Travis Etienne, off of Amon Ross, St. Brown. Expected ownership is supposed to be minuscule. So, he's very interesting in that sense. Uh, It's not a likeliest scenario outcome, but it's like a if this game plays out differently than public perception, he's a nice piece to have. Um, for me, for single entry stuff, for, um, even for large field stuff, it's like, I'll just let the field fuck around with Trevor Lawrence and his pass catchers. And I'll just play the best players from this game, which are Travis ETN and, and Amon Rossi Brown.
1: I, I agree. That's a, a great way to approach this and, and move on there. So, um, Speaking of ownership, we're going to move on to the Jets and Vikings game. And I'm scratching, I understand some, but also scratching my head a little bit. Um, as far as when I start looking at ownership at overall and and where's who's where at this, um, this is an interesting spot for me, uh, especially with as good as you know the Jets' D has been. How are you feeling about this game? What, what do you see in pivot points with the Jets and Vikes?
0: This is a game that has a game environment that is likeliest to underwhelm. That said, it largely in my eyes break, after breaking down this game, it largely in my eyes depends on how the Jets choose to handle Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson is like top 5 in pretty much every wide receiver metric you right. want to look at, but he's such a an integral piece to this offense in the sense that Kevin O'Connell has designed his offense around figuring out interesting ways and unique ways to get justin jefferson the ball in space yeah like the best
1: guy on the field like imagine
0: that yeah so i mean he he came from sean mcvade uh coaching tree which we've seen what they have done with cooper cup and designing an offense around getting their best player the ball in space and that's kind of what they're doing with justin jefferson that said the primary Defensive alignment from the Jets this season has been moderate blitz rates behind a three, four front with, um, heavy zone coverage behind. They are able to generate, um, organic pressure up front through not having to blitz. And that allows them to settle into this, like this, um, layered zone coverage scheme, um, behind that. And with dynamic linebackers that both drop in coverage, they blitz, they do all kinds of stuff. So, from a, like schematic percept or from like the the perception of the schematics of the Jets defense they are primarily a zone based defense that said like Justin Jefferson is like it's Tyreek Hill and it's Justin Jefferson in wide receivers that absolutely like shit stomp zone coverages it's those, not even close when you look at the metrics it's those two guys and then everybody else so Correct are the jets going to maintain their high levels of zone coverage? Are they going to um, play sides? Uh, Are they going to shadow a sauce? I have no idea, but to me, it's probably let least optimal to maintain how they've played defense this season against a wide receiver like Justin Jefferson, because Again, Kevin O'Connell has designed ways to get Justin Jefferson the ball in space in double moves, in all kinds of things, and it's just it just destroys zone coverage. So, the one path, I would say, to this game environment blowing up is Justin Jefferson. So, how the Jets manage to handle Justin Jefferson is probably like the main um the main path to this game environment blowing up. On the other side of that coin um Quarterback Kirk Cousins has been absolutely atrocious when under pressure. Um, He's very good at handling the blitz in the sense that he's a veteran guy. He's savvy. He can read where the blitz is coming from and he can find the holes behind that. Um, And now he has another piece to play with that kind of um, game plan with TJ Hawkinson. So I'd expect the Jets to lower their blitz rate to play... Man coverages, particularly on third down, which is kind of counterintuitive to how NFL defenses are built nowadays. And I would expect they are aggressive in the sense of their front three and maybe a linebacker or two are going to be involved in trying to get to Kirk Cousins. That's how, if I were in Robert Sala's shoes, that's how I would handle it. He's an NFL coach. I'm not. I don't fucking know what they're going to do, but that's how I would handle it. That just leaves a very wide range of outcomes for this game environment. And the field is saying, Justin Jefferson is in a difficult matchup. I'll look to the secondary option in Adam Thielen because he just put up 21 fantasy points. Like That, that is just how the field yep. is handling this situation. It's like wow. wild to me. Adam Phelan has one game above 20 fantasy points. Right. He has one game of double digit targets. He is not, <laughs> he is not likeliest to succeed here. If you're pivoting off Justin Jefferson and you want exposure to this game, play TJ Hawkinson because he's the player likeliest to succeed. If the jets are wreaking havoc in the backfield. Um, if they are getting a relentless pressure on Kirk cousins, it like it's likeliest to be, TJ Hawkinson and somewhat, um, less so, but somewhat, um, probably more involvement from KJ Osborne that yeah, said, okay, go ahead.
1: Yeah. See, interesting to me right when I saw that. So that's when I, when I brought that up, I'm like, man, like it's, uh, to use some poker terms, right. It's, it they're tilted and they're, you know, it's, it's pot lagging, right. They're, they're looking at it. They're tilted. They're like, man, I, I should have got it there. And they're, and they're pushing their chips in on a hand, they shouldn't be pushing their chips in on, uh, it's, that's kind of the way I'm looking at this, especially when I start seeing that who's owned higher than Jefferson right now, Thielen. I'm not even going to talk about the a night thing like that. That's just, that's beyond me. Uh, you know, cook and then Conklin, right. Conklin has full the ownership that Hawk does already. Um, and I understand that a little bit, but interesting spot, uh, when Kelsey's on this slate and Andrews,
0: yeah. So to give a little uh, sneak peek into like the DFS section, DFS plus interpretation section, I basically laid it out as Zonovan Knight is okay. Right. Garrett Wilson is okay. Tyler Conklin is okay. But the field seems to be treating them as if they are in this camp miss spot. The Justin Jefferson, we we broke down how he is going to likely influence this game and the Jets how they handle it. I would 100% be fading Adam Feel in the slate. I don't want to be fighting ownership on a low A dot guy who needs a hundred, like he needs double digit looks to break a hundred yards and he's likely going to need two multiple scores to provide a GPP worthy score. Um, honestly, like one this, of the elite pass defenses in the league. Yeah, on a slate like this, because we have to approach our decision making processes different based on the state of the slate. The state of the slate last week was like, there's a ton of low game totals there. We have, there's no certainty. Let's take some shots on some um, guys who can get us 4X. That's not going to fly on this slate. I think JM put it um, about as best as you can for this slate. He said, if we had like unlimited salary, you would see 300 plus fantasy scores this week. We 100%. might still. We might still see a two seventies. We might we might see some scoring this week. So a twenty-point game from Adam Thielen, a player like Adam Thielen, who has a very, very small paths or a few paths to hitting a hundred yards and two scores to, to give you that like 30, 35 fantasy point game that you're gonna need this week, is like it's it's mind-boggling why the field is gravitating towards a profile like that when we know going into this slate like reading the slate, this first thing we should be doing on a week like this, like we know we're going to need some, some high fantasy point totals. So um, it's this like this nebulous range of like the, the field doesn't know. It's, it's, it's a similar situation to the Jacksonville pass offense. It's like, is, <laughs> does Trevor Lawrence have 40 fantasy points in, within his range of outcomes? I would argue like that's less than a percent chance outcome less than that's the same thought process for Adam feeling just very low chance of actually providing something that is um that is like worthwhile for us to be playing on a slate like this
1: yeah it's um I'm not going to have a ton of exposure there for me it's really it's you know Justin or or go home so uh speaking of very little ownership and and something that I don't want much to do with. We're going to move on to the Washington football team versus the New York giants. Um, kudos to dabble. Uh, I think he's done an amazing job with what he was given, right. His first year, you know, he was able to draft a few guys, but you know, he he's building around what he has. And I, you know, I said it last week. I, I think he has, you know, coach of the year opportunity, uh, that being said, um, you know, ownership is wonky here in this game. Um, I, I'm interested to see if you want any exposure, uh, you know, when we just talked about the exact thing of it's going to take uh, two fifty to 300 to, to win this week, in my opinion as well. Um, especially after reading what, uh, you know, some of the stuff JM has said and really getting to look at it from that sharp of view, I, I don't see any less. So in a game total, that's at 40, but has real low ownership.
0: Are there any, you know, one offs you like in this game? Scroll down a bit. We'll start there. Scroll down to the game overview. Okay. For those listening, the game overview of this game is both teams rank in the bottom seven and pass rate over expectation. Giants hold the league's fifth highest overall rush rate while the commanders rank 11th commanders boast a stout run defense while the giants have been gashed on the ground. Giants have been, have generated the fewest explosive plays this season, while the commanders surprisingly ranked top ten in both explosive rush rate and explosive pass rate, albeit with the asterisk that those have all been Antonio Gibson and not Brian Robinson. Um, uh, that's so and then the the probably the one of the most important pieces also is this game is about as close to a must win for each of these teams as can be for a week thirteen game, in the sense that both of these teams are in sixth and seventh in the NFC playoff picture right now. With yep. just over a month left to play in the season, and it's likely that the winner of this game will control their own destiny. The loser will have an uphill battle to make the playoffs. So, what do we see from these like division games that have high importance late in the year? We typically see the the percentage solution is we see a slugfest. We see we see these teams not wanting to make the mistakes to lose the game. Compounding that is the 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 leans and the, um, how these offenses are run and how these defenses are built. The Giants are a Wink-Martindale defense. That means that they... Are like nails in the red zone. They don't allow a lot of touchdowns. They're top three in red zone touchdown. Yeah, to they top three this year, right? Yep. Yeah, and that's that's dating back to like that's just Wink Martindale. Like he he, he designs a defense dating back to his time in Baltimore that, where they just don't allow scoring in the end zone or in the red zone. It's like the same thing as like Bill Belichick. They just like right. they are nails in the red zone. That's just what they are. Um, and then you look at like the composition of how the each of these teams are going to try and win it's like both of them are going to be wanting to run the football. Sorry about that. I had a positive cough. Um, the other layer of that is Saquon Barkley's price is remaining above his standard range of outcomes on a weekly basis right. this season. Because why is that? It's because the pricing algorithms take into account ownership over like I don't know what the what the snapshot is, but this is confirmed they take into account Ownership from previous however many slates. So that means that the field is still playing Saquon Barkley at a fairly heavy rate because his fantasy production, his past game involvement has been low this year compared to historic, uh, like historic Saquon Barkley. So the field is playing Saquon Barkley without realizing that his role is different this year. So that is something I'm just completely fading until the end of time, until Saquon Barkley has a changed back in role, basically. He's, he's closer to a yard and yardage and touchdown back than he has ever been in his career. So with that, he's kind of X off the list. Now we look at the commander's backfield and it's kind of actually a little bit interesting. Um, Antonio Gibson was downgraded from a limited participation on Wednesday to a DNP on Thursday. That's typically not a good sign for a player's um, availability come the weekend. Um, Obviously we'll have to wait and see what their practice report says today on Friday, but It's like, I think all backs in Washington not named J.D. McKissick, Brian Robinson, and Antonio Gibson have seen something crazy like 14 total offensive snaps this season. J.D. McKissick is on IR. If Antonio Gibson is removed from that puzzle, now it's like just Brian Robinson at a depressed price in a matchup against a Giants team that is allowing the most rush yards per carry two opposing backfields this season at like over, it's like 5.02 yards per carry. So that's something that's interesting. There are very few paths to this game environment blowing up. So it'd be like a one-off or a fade. And if I were choosing a one-off, should Antonio Gibson miss here, it's going to be Brian Robinson. He introduces an interesting leverage point from the sense of roster construction and salary allocation this week
1: yeah, i like uh, I like the opportunity to uh, to leverage that possibly with there. Uh, interesting that Gibson's still at ten percent, even with the news. Uh, I thought that'd come in a little bit lower today, but seeing Gibson there at ten percent to start was uh, was interesting. Um, and if you're watching us and you see me looking off, I'm looking at one of my screens, I was pulling up some data, and Excel was being stupid because uh, we're gonna talk about and uh, Hilo's write ups probably our favorite game, uh, both of us of. Uh, the write-ups at Hilo did this week, and, and we're gonna end off here. And we want to leave a little extra time for the for the Titans at the Eagles. Um, so much opportunity in this game. Um I, to go so many ways. Um I love what you end with, and I want to start there. One of the revenge narratives on this slate is AJ Brown against his former team, you know. Brown felt slighted. They traded him instead of paying him after the work he, you know, we put in and delivered. Uh let's start with AJ uh from that point because he's right now not being owned. Um which is just wild to me. Do do we expect that to go up some absolutely, but uh you give me under 5% uh AJ Brown in a revenge game and let me pair him up with uh Mr. Hertz and I, I I'm going to stack that. <laughs>
0: there's a yeah so backing up a bit there's a lot of like there's a lot of moving pieces with this game with this game environment with the eagles with the the tight there's just there's a lot of um there's a lot of things that contribute to a wide range of outcomes for this game uh we'll put it like that there the first is philadelphia is now a highly concentrated pass offense with dallas goddard out of the lineup They are, they are running Quez Watkins as they're, they're basically Quez is like their deep threat. He has been that then the entire season they are now running or trying to get him touches close to the line of scrimmage because they don't have that like center of the field presence in Dallas Goddard. They've also reduced the um, average or the average intended air yards at target or the a dot for Devontae Smith. Um, to try and compensate for the fact that Dallas Goddard is not in the lineup. So Quez Watkins is expected to play like 85% plus of the offensive snaps here. Um, Their primary tight end, Jack Stoll, has been like at 80%, I think in both of the games without Dallas Goddard in snap rate, and he's seen one target. So he's like completely just removed the tight end discussion from, uh, or the tight end position from this discussion. So knowing that, it's like Quez Watkins is being, he's going to see work around the line of scrimmage to try and get the, the ball into a an explosive playmaker. And he's going to see some downfield work. And then when you compare like side-by-side, side, when you compare, if you do like a, a blind comparison between A.J. Brown and Devontae Smith about their like underlying metrics for this season, you would be hard pressed to figure out who is who. They are almost identical in most of their underlying metrics their targets yeah. for route run rate you wouldn't They're... know
1: who it was if we covered their names
0: exactly so that's another layer to this then you add in the um the the revenge narrative with um with uh aj brown and i think that that revenge narrative is a little bit more, like we can place a little bit more emphasis than the standard revenge narrative which i really never pay attention to this one has me a little bit paying attention to it because AJ Brown came over and immediately like entered the like best friend zone with his quarterback, Jalen hurts. They are very close. They do a lot together off the field. Um, and they are just like, they're like, they established this like early brotherhood on the, or additionally we'll say AJ Brown. We know that he was upset with how it was, how his situation was handled in Tennessee, he was coming off of his third uh, season in the NFL, which is starting to get into contract negotiation time. And instead of even talking to AJ Brown, they traded him and on draft night of, uh, it was round one, right? Um, yep, opening that was, night one. Of draft it was night. wild. Yeah. It's like, we got this random report that like AJ Brown's traded the Philly and it's like, what, the, the, this is the first I'm hearing of this. So it was surprising. If it was surprising to us, it was surprising to AJ Brown. So he felt slighted. He felt like the Titans didn't even pay him the time of day to even open the contract discussions with him. They just like shipped him off. Like you're done to us. So the fact that he felt slighted, the fact that he has a very close relationship with Jalen hurts and the fact that Jalen hurts, I don't want to call it him petty, but he is somebody that pays attention to, um, taking care of his, his past catchers. We saw earlier this season when A.J. Brown had his first blow-up game and Devontae Smith laid a goose egg. He, like, reports came out that after the game, there was video of it where he went over to Smith and he's like, it's okay, dude, I got you next game. And next game, he fed Devontae Smith.
1: Yeah, so a like, monster next game. He had yeah, like 179 so, or
0: something. Yeah, and that was, his, that was Smith's first game with double-digit targets this season. So right. what that highlights to me is, like, Jalen Hurts, we talk about, like, a, a player's coach. Jalen Hurts is like a player's quarterback. He wants to take care of his dudes. Like if if we r- put up like a spectrum of like give a fuck level from the quarterback position about like his players, Jalen Hurts would be on like one end of the spectrum, like complete opposite of like Kyler Murray. It'd be like that would be the the bracket of this this. <laughs> um, I want to make that spectrum. a T-shirt. Yeah, it's like give a fuck level Kyler Murray, and then Jalen Hurts is on the other side. Right. Um, so. Like knowing that, like that all comes into play, where there's like so much going on with this game. Also, we know that Jalen Hurts, the mobile quarterback, we know that the the Eagles have this low pass rate. We also know that that Tennessee are one of the more extreme pass funnel defenses in the NFL. They are number one in DVOA against the run. They are nails against the run. They, that is just because their, yep. their head coach it, was a former lineman. He would like, or linebacker, who, fucking linebacker, linebacker. whatever. Linebacker. Um, yeah. So, but he's like this, this in the trenches coached from dating back to his like playing days playing. And it, they want to win at the line of scrimmage on both sides of the ball. So that is how they've built their team over the last five years. That is how they are approaching games. That is how they have been so successful in overperforming their expectation in each of the last three seasons. This was a team that they were the number one seed in the AFC last year. So like there, there's a lot going on with this, this game environment. The easy answer is to just buy into the narrative and play AJ Brown. I would posit that. AJ Brown and Devontae Smith are probably still equally as likely to succeed if, again, another caveat if the Eagles open up their offense earlier in the game. If you think about, like, from a coaching perspective, how the Eagles, like, how I would want to approach this game from a game planning perspective um, against a team like the Titans, where it's like they have no pass game options. It's like Traylon Burks is their only, like, splash play generator. um, And they want to build their offense around Derrick Henry. It's like, look at what Derrick Henry has done this season. Derrick Henry in blowouts, in blowout wins, in losses, in close games, it doesn't matter. Across the board, Derrick Henry's touch per snap rate is fairly even in all game environments. So how do you remove the Titans' like best player off the field? You score early. What? How are you most likely to score early in this game through the air? So if I were sitting, um, if I were sitting in the the team meetings this week, I'd be like, Yo, we need to open the game on our first two drives. We need to pass the ball on first down on second down. We need to drive the field and put up early points. That will effectively remove Derrick Henry from the game and make our chances of winning that much higher other side of that is now we're into like the assumption of rational coaching. Are they going to do that? I don't know. They have been this like ground-based team. If they continue to be this ground-based team, even with a mobile quarterback, it is more, or it is increasingly likely that Derrick Henry and the Titans are able to run their game plan, um, against a run funnel defense and stay in the game for longer. So this game environment has a really, really wide range of potential outcomes. It's almost entirely based on how the eagles choose to open the game offensively um again i laid out like how i would do it i have no idea what they're going to do the assumption of rational coaching has bit us in the ass before and i've learned my lesson from that so it just there's a really really wide range of potential outcomes now you look in like you brought up earlier in the expected ownership it's like if aj brown was expected to be like one of the top 3 owned wide receivers on the slate it'd be like okay I'll, I'll throw my money in Devontae Smith or I'll look, I'll fade this game entirely because it has a wide range of outcomes, but he's not, he's expected to be under 3% owned. So it's like, okay, now I have, now I have some, um, some pretty heavy interest in like buying into this revenge narrative. So, All oh, right. Yeah. So
1: now I'm going to, I'm going to flip the switch here and talk about a little, little stats here. So average fantasy of points allowed by the defense in PPR this year. All right. So this is going to make you feel dirty when I say this. Okay. But against quarterbacks, Philly is one of the worst defenses in the NFL for giving up fantasy points to quarterbacks. Now, we know some of that is because they push the ball and teams have had, right? They've come out and smashed them in the first half and teams have had to come back and throw against them. But when you look at that, it goes there. Is there any game environment in which you try to get crazy leverage off the field? And you go Tannehill with, you know, a pass catcher like Burks and then come back on the Philly side?
0: I would say no, just because of the state of the slate. It's very, very, very unlikely that Tannehill matches the top quarterbacks on the slate. It is, if you want to play to that kind of back and forth shootout style game environment, I would primarily be looking at Jalen Hurts plus either Devontae Smith or AJ Brown and bring it back with Traylon Burks, who is the upside generator for Titans um, through the pass game. He's also increased his level of participation each week coming back from injury. We know that he's going to be probably around this 65 to 75% snap rate range, but he is the player that has the highest targets per route run rate on the team. He is the player who has the highest yards after catch per reception, all the all the things that are like indicative of an upside generator is Traylon Burks for this offense. So I would say it's far more likely that Traylon Burks succeeds without Tannehill than it would be for those two to succeed together.
1: Good way to explain it. I wanted to uh I got asked about that yesterday. So I, I thought that'd be a good spot to have that conversation about it because It was that somebody was digging into the stats and had had, hey, right, and had to have the conversation with them that, right, while we want to look at the stats, we also have to look at game environment, situations. There's so much, right, so much more involved, and with all the data now, you can really get lost pretty easy, and unfortunately, like, you can see people throw game theory out the window, which I know – And for those that don't, that maybe this is one of the first few times, you know, you're just getting into this. Uh, If you want to learn game theory, um, the man I'm on this podcast with here is one of the best in the business at it. He understands it at a level that makes my brain hurt. And, uh, but I enjoy it. I have to listen to his game theory stuff a couple of times to get through there. And uh, <laughs> some of the times when I'm asking questions, it's because I want him to explain the game theory, right? I'm kind of leading him into where I'd like to see him go to talk about why you wouldn't do that. Not only why I want to play a certain player away, but also why you don't. So uh, I'm really interested in this game. I- I'm going to be watching Ownership Like a Hawk, and I'll be interested to hear uh, where we're at come Saturday afternoon with you and X on this. Yeah, man. So as we're ending up here, tell me over the next two weeks, as you've looked at, we're going to talk a little best ball here. Um, For those that don't know, you know, Hilo and I are are pretty involved in the best ball arena uh, heavily invested again this year. And um, who do you need? You know, as you look at some of your teams, who are you needing big weeks out of as we uh, as we finish up these last two weeks to, to get into the playoffs here?
0: i need justin fields to stay healthy
1: <laughs> and play all right, you and me both fields i am so, fields is my second highest owned quarterback on underdog uh yeah. he's my uh third highest on dk and if fields daily is healthy i'm in i that would be
0: super helpful yeah i i'm actually i want to i want to look at what my exposure is to fields real quick yeah all right yeah are you sitting down <laughs> Oh uh, boy. 35%, 35% fields. Oh man. I nailed it on the head.
1: I, yep. uh, cause I'm close. I'm really, really close to that on what my exposure is to him. I'm at 32. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, I need, it, it was his price. And when we were getting him right, like, and it's this upside that, Hey, if, you know, when we're talking about range of outcomes, whether it's daily fantasy, whether it's season long, whether it's best ball, um, especially in, and best ball and DFS, right? And the range of outcomes at his price, where we were getting him compared to so many other quarterbacks, opened up the ability to get him going. Right. I have a ton of which has been great so far, right? I have a ton of teams that I have fields with Justin Jefferson. I have fields with Devontae Adams. I have fields with Josh Jacobs, some of the guys that have just smashed this year. Um, and I stacked a lot of fields with commit. Um, I'm pretty highly owned on Comet, So that's, you know, helped. It wasn't, it wasn't fun to start the season. <laughs> it was downright yeah. ugly, but uh, you know, he's definitely come along and, and go from there. So uh, those will be some fun sweats as well. And, and interested to see And Once again, if you guys are looking uh, join our discord, we're, there's so much free information that we give um, because we want you to, to see the value. You know, one of the things you'll see with, with one week season is our tagline, right? Have a boat. We'll teach you the fish, right? We just don't want to tell you, Hey, just go play this. Um, you have a ton of people here that are way, way smarter than I'll ever be, uh, that are really good at this and, uh, helping everybody understand how to pivot, how to, how to grow, uh, how to understand game theory. And, and there's just so much free information that, one of the reasons we do it is because you come in and then you see the value and it's like, well, this is a no brainer. If I'm getting this, imagine what the paid content is uh, and I, the paid content. Um, I'm biased, uh, but I, I think in the DFS field, our paid content is one of the best in the game. Everybody have a great week and we'll talk to you soon.
0: Later.